If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. If this is your first time joining in, welcome to the show. And if you um, are a regular viewer, thanks for being here and welcome back. And welcome to another episode of And Security for All. We... um, this week at FutureCon, as most of you know, I am the CEO of FutureCon Events. We put on cybersecurity conferences all over North America, and we have been crazy as heck um, traveling. So this week, we actually had a little bit of a break, but not too much of a break because we are getting ready for our Houston show. Next week, we're going to be in Houston, and then we are super busy in September. We're going to be in Des Moines, San Diego. No, not San Diego, Des Moines, Phoenix, and uh, there is one more Chicago. So if you guys are out there in one of those areas and you'd like to join us in person, we'd love to see you. Um, as time goes on each month, we're seeing a larger and larger turnout of live people, but all of our events stream in a hybrid mode. So if you'd like to catch any of our shows, um, just message me or go to my LinkedIn and you can always watch our show virtually. So very excited about um, our guest this week. And before I introduce our guest, I wanna um, give a shout out to Jonathan Kimmett. He did my show about two weeks ago and he's been helping me out a lot. He's the CISO from the University of Tulsa. He's been great with um, stepping in and helping me out when I need someone to run the show when I'm on the road. So thank you, Jonathan, for your great guest that you had on a couple of weeks ago. I'm excited for today's guest. I haven't, I actually met him. It was pre-COVID. We were in Dallas, Texas, right before COVID happened. I think it was January, February. And Michael Anderson, um, super excited to have him on the show. He was going to be our keynote speaker the following year. It was supposed to be a live event, but he ended up uh, keynoting a virtual event. So looking forward to having him back at a a live show right now. Michael Anderson's the Chief Information Security Officer at the Dallas Independent School um, District at the Information Technology Division. A little bit about him. He's a co- accomplished corporate executive, entrepreneur, business consultant. He was honored and his name um, built in the 2021 Speaker of the Year with over 25 years of information technology experiences. He applies clever and innovative methods of of leverage of his expertise for extraordinary outcomes. There's all kinds of things that um, he has done. Um, He specializes in risk management, cybersecurity, compliance, privacy. He instructs uh, cybersecurity safeguards with organization strategic vision. He currently serves as, I mentioned earlier, the CISO at the Dallas ISD, the second largest school district in Texas. Today, we're going to talk about constructing a risk-based cybersecurity uh, program. So I'm super happy to have him on the show and see him again. Welcome to the show, Michael. Oh, thank you so much, Kim. I'm so glad to be back doing another project with you. I know. It's so great. So how's everything going? And this is a new position. How long have you been at the school district? So uh, my first day was uh, 
April 1st. So that puts me at 4.5 months in the current role. I just completed my 30, 60, 90 day plan and uh, we're off to the races. Um, literally uh, doing what we're going to be. I'm literally doing what we're going to be talking about today real time. Well, that's awesome. So what, um, what, it, what, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your job role there and what your, you know, current project, we're going to kind of break it down a little bit, but just an overview of what you're doing for the school district right now. Sure. And what is, if you can let us know, because I'm kind of curious, what's the difference between an independent school district and just the normal school district? Well, I'm going to start with the second answer or the second question first. And the answer is I'm not absolutely certain just yet. Um, what I know is um, when it's independent, as I'm told by other colleagues, um, they've shared that there's, there's less bureaucratic red tape with respect to reporting to the state. Um, the, the, the number of um, items that the state would ask for in an independent school district is less, lesser, because um, they're not funding as much of the school. There's a partnership that takes place between um, local county and larger municipalities to help fund the school. But that's as much as I know at the moment. Well, it probably, correct me if I'm wrong, but so, so you're not really reporting to the government as you were before, is that correct? No, that is absolutely correct. Okay. Um, I, have a, I have a unique situation, I'm told. Um, typically, you know, I report to a CTO. I do report to a CTO for uh, management and performance management and such, day-to-day -day operations. But there's also a dotted line relationship also, as I understand, uh, to the board of trustees. And in education, it's a little different the way the board of trustees work. Um, the superintendent of Dallas ISD, um, when she is to make important decisions, those things that um, are above and beyond what she has scope to do on a day-to-day -day basis, um, she goes to them in the same way a CEO would go to the board for uh, guidance and approval to move forward with an initiative. Well, what I found different here is that the audit department is um, independent as well, and they report directly to the board of trustees. And there's a huge committee that um, ensues every quarter where the audit department brings in a number of findings. So they're in the risk management space principally. Um, that particular team within audit looks at all of the departments that make up uh, Dallas ISD uh, and especially information technology. And so what, what ends up happening is I also report to audit because it is my responsibility to craft the strategy for the cybersecurity program. So it's a little bit different than what I'm accustomed to, but it's kind of cool at the same time um, because of that unique reporting relationship I just shared with you. 
Well, when I first met you, it was pretty awesome because first of all, we love when we get, you know, the executives to come to our events and you were a CISO for the um, count, was it Dallas County? That's correct. Okay, you were in. I remember another Eric Yancey, I think, came up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like, and he he's the CISO for the city of or Irving. Irving. Yeah, that's right. So he's like, you have to meet Michael. You have to meet Michael. You know, he's such a great speaker. You got to meet him. So tell us a little bit about yourself. And, and it wasn't only Eric. It was several people that was like, you need to meet Michael. He's a great speaker. You need to have him as a keynote at your event. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you've gotten to cybersecurity. I, I most certainly will. And uh, Eric is just a fantastic human being. I love him to death. And uh, he and I, you know, were, were in the so-called um, uh, government struggle together. There's just certain things that are very, very unique to government that uh, pose challenges slash opposition. And, and he and I would just get on from time to time and sort of vent with each other. So great guy. I love him to death and uh, most certainly appreciate, you know, everything that he had positive to share with you about me. Uh, this role is, is, is well, I'm not talking about role just yet. So um, I believe that um, you may know because both of us are a prior service that I served in the Army for 10 years. Uh, and during my Army tenure, I served as a military intelligence analyst. I had a top secret SCI clearance, had the ability to work with a lot of really cool data and people. And it was there that um, I really got immersed into computers, computer systems, computer programming, uh, networking, and effectively, while still in the Army, I was what the, would be the equivalent in the civilian sector as a network manager. So I thought that, uh, okay, well, I'll leave the military, and I'll go become a civilian, and I'll just land a network manager job. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> it does not work like that. There's not a one-to-one -one correlation between those things, at least back then, right, in the late 90s, for what you do in the armed services versus what civilians would do or corporate folks. So I had to start all over. Um, I went to, I, I got on with uh, Raytheon and uh, started there at the desktop. And two years later at a different employer, I made it back into a supervisory role as a systems engineer. And a couple of months after that, I was back into a managerial position. And so for the last 22 years, I've been in, or 20 years, 21 in the two more months, I've been in management uh, positions. Um, I, I really specialized originally in infrastructure. That's where I really cut my teeth as a, as a, as a private sector employee, working with data center, uh, land, WAN, SAN, and that whole stack, um, cloud included. Um, I realized, I guess it was 2012, 2011, um, that there was a significant shortage of, of management in cybersecurity. I also noted that a lot of the things that I was doing as an infrastructure manager was going away. It was being automated into different platforms, SD-WAN. And so, you know, we'll have two or three careers as adults. So I figured, okay, it's time for me to pivot. And I got an opportunity working for a fantastic boss that I absolutely love today dearly. Uh, he taught me an awful lot. 
encouraged me to get my um, CISSP. And you know what, Kim, I, I haven't looked back since then. Uh, I've been loving every minute of this to include all of the challenges um, inherently that we have as CISOs. The role here is fairly traditional. Um, I have three teams that I oversee. I have an engineering and architecture team. I have a threat and vulnerability management team and I have a compliance and privacy team. And together, um, we take care of all of the cybersecurity affairs for 134,000 students and 22,000 uh, plus employees on 237 campuses. Uh, so there's 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 always something to do. There's never a shortage of work or activity. Um, so really, really looking forward to you know making some impact there and creating some outcomes that they hadn't been able to realize before my arrival. So have you gotten any sleep since April? I have. I, <laughs> I, I have. <laughs> um, I will tell you though that. Um, I, I, I unwind things very methodically. So my entire um, military career, it was always one of those things to try to learn those um, repeatable processes. And so I created one for myself. I, I do these 27 things anytime I take on a new role. And it's very enlightening. And I guess we'll probably get more into that um, as the show progresses. But uh, I got to tell you, that first two months, ooh, <laughs> did I make the right choice? Um, should I, should I, should I, should I um, go forward with this? Um, there's just a lot there um, to be addressed. And um, the typical challenges that all CISOs uh, are faced with, um, they're amplified here because of uh, the number of really, really smart kids out there and um, what I would call um, um, a process deficiency um, across many of our key departments. So um, John, Jonathan Kimmett just joined us and Jonathan, you missed it. I did give you a shout out earlier to say thank you so much for taking care of the show a couple of weeks ago and I have many more for you to uh, do, but I don't know if you guys know each other, but there's probably a lot of commonality that you guys have. Jonathan's a CISO, like I said, at the University of Tulsa, and um, he has built part of his SOC team as a group of students that are going through their cybersecurity, getting their cybersecurity degree. So I think- John Jonathan and I were on a panel together that you sponsored down at oh. Yeah, I know Jonathan quite well. He's a really, really accomplished young man. Yeah, that's right. I forgot that you guys both sat on that panel. So that's awesome. Right. Yeah. So um, Ben Ramirez, thank you for joining the show too. Just giving a shout out to Ben. Um, but again, so that is, you know, the topic that we're going to talk about or that we are talking about constructing a risk-based cybersecurity program is a really big statement right there. So, and there's a lot to that. So how, where do you even start with that and going back to, because it, it, to me that that's so overwhelming what you just took on as a CISO. So where did you, where do you begin with that? 
So uh, back to that uh, repeatable process that I shared with you. Um, what I like to always do is create a baseline. So I want to know unemotionally where, at what stage the current program is at. But I always take it a step further because what I've learned over the course of the time that I've been doing CISO level work and um, all of the other subordinate things that sort of tied to it, like compliance, privacy, audit, sometimes governance, is that there's, 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 there's typically a gap when you just look at the technology stack. So I'll come in, most certainly I'll do a gap assessment against a well-known framework. Uh, but I don't stop there. I also take a look at the processes, the maturity of the processes, as well as the people, right? And I don't feel, in my opinion, that I can immediately move into the technology acquisition stages until I've shored up the people in the process components. Certainly there will be things that um, are mandatory or high risk that I will address during that time, um, but, but I really want to focus initially on the team, the team dynamic, culture, um, and then um, the processes that um, lead to all of the acquisitions and so forth that will round out the program and literally reduce the risk. So right now your team that is currently when you took on this role, did you come in with a great team that was already in place or are you re are you hiring like what did that process look like yeah good question um i have not been fortunate enough yet uh, to inherit a mature program um, well-defined processes uh, and a team that's appropriately trained for the different roles that um, they are supposed to perform on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, I always start from ground one. I assume they don't know anything, and I just sort of take them through the paces. I, 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 I think it's great. It keeps me sharp, and um, it shows to them that I actually care about their professional development. and. I know after that sequence is complete that they will have at least a fantastic foundation to start building on. But yeah, we've made some key hires. Um, we've sort of reorg the team and uh, we're, we're, we're looking to um, bring on another privacy analyst here in the next couple of months. So if there's someone out there listening and, and, and that's your sweet spot, um, let's get together on LinkedIn and exchange some credentials because we got a great opportunity coming available. In fact, I think it was posted yesterday. Okay, and we're always, you know, anything send my way because as you know, we have a great pool. Yes, you have a fantastic community, I concur. Yeah, so, uh, well, yeah, whatever you want us to post out there. A couple of shout-outs again. Brian Basil, thanks for being here. He said, I agree with you. I agree with that, my great point. Not certain what point that was, but hopefully you know. And then uh, Victor G just said hello. But Jonathan Kimmett said, uh, what do you look for when you're building your team? Which is a great question. 
Well, um, so this is this is this is a pretty profound challenge these days. Um, for years and years, um, practitioners have said, "Hey, Mike, you know what? We're just like sysadmin people. We're not customer facing. We can do everything um, remotely." And we sort of proved that during the COVID um, um, crisis. And so today, um, if you want to hire somebody, um, they're calling all of the shots. <laughs> they're saying um, before they even interview, is this remote? And if it's not in the job description, they won't even apply. So that's one significant challenge. The other is, our, not mine specifically, but there are human resources departments that don't give um, proper credit and or leeway for experience if an individual doesn't have a degree. And I, I just got to be honest with you, um, I've, I've had degreed um, analysts, engineers, architects, privacy folks, and I've had non-degreed, and I haven't seen um, a huge delta between the two. And in some cases, because an individual didn't have a degree, um, they had that much more hurt, um, thirst and hunger to learn, and that drove them to the top of um, that particular team. So those two challenges are, are really what I'm faced with. I don't know that I look for anything specific other than um, is there is 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 there a burning desire for that individual to do this thing? Because I know if I can get someone who's truly intrigued, I don't have to instill in them the need to learn the skill set. They will do that automatically. And not only that, but they'll consume extra things even when they're not at work so that they can put their best foot forward. So that and teachability um, and, and, and collaboration, those are probably my top three that I look for, but I don't particularly concern myself if they have a degree or not. If I can get them in the door, I'd rather train them um, than sit on a position for six months trying to wait for the right person. And I can totally empathize with you on the people, you know, trying to hire someone that if you're not remote, they, they don't even want to consider it. So, right. and it's, you know, it's a shame because I, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to miss a lot of great roles because they've taken that stance. But, and I wonder how long this time we're in, if that's eventually going to come back around because um, I don't know. I, what, I, I just hope that we're, there's a lot of talent out there that are missing opportunities because they, they have that mindset right now that I have to be remote. So, but I won't, I, I could go on and on about that because it's a frustrating situation right now, but I have a couple, <laughs> yeah, of, it it's so frustrating. <laughs> so I can't tell you like, yeah, anyway, but I, it's just so different because even like positions I've had to fill you know, it's hard to find good people, especially when you're so busy and to have, you know, when you're a smaller company, you're not from a smaller company. So you probably have human resources to pan those people out. But That's right. it's just if you're even going through an agency, you know, there, it's not the same talent that was there three years ago 
because of all those people that don't won't consider anything unless it's 100% remote. But a um, couple questions, and I, I love when our audience is engaging. Um, Brian Bazell said, hiring the right people and getting those dynamic, hiring the right people and getting those dynamic in order. That's all he said. And then um, I had Victor that said, how do you keep great talent in this environment? That's a really, really good question. And I, I'm afraid you're going to say pay them well. Let's hear what you have to say. Um, so I, I manage differently than the managers who managed me when, when I was coming up through the ranks. I, I, I have always been an excellent observer, right? And what I observed in my own ascent into my current role was that, you know, my manager didn't spend any quality time with me. You know, my manager didn't help me grow personally or professionally. Um, so I take the other side of that with my teams today. And I, I, I like in this first 30, 60, 90, I assumed that they did not trust me and I share it with them frequently. I'm in a mode right now of earning your trust. And um, I, I don't want you to give it to me based on the position that I hold or whatever um, authority that has been delegated to me in this role. I'm, I'm, I'm as serious as one can be. I want to earn your trust. And that's just something that I've done for the last decade, and it's worked like magic for me. Because what ends up happening is when I do eventually earn their trust, they know that I am pro whatever the individual's name is. And whatever I can do to help them get to their next milestone, that's what we're doing. When I do performance management with people, um, we're looking out two years. What do they want to be when they grow up? And how can I help you get there? Um, I, I, I think you know, Kim, the audience may not know, but I do an awful lot of mentoring and coaching for a large variety of organizations pro bono. And it's just to give back. And when they see that, and then they see how I treat them, they go, and I promise I'm incredibly humbled by this, but they they go, hey, when, when you leave here, remember me. And if that's not the compliment of all compliments, I certainly don't know what would rival it because um, I've demonstrated to them over a period of time that I truly care. And when it's time for them to take vacation, I don't call them. I don't care if they're a single, if they're the only person doing that specific task when they're off, they're off. And, and so it's the little things like that, the respect for their time, helping them to achieve work-life balance, um, and then helping them to grow professionally and, 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 and yeah, professionally, they, they, they just gravitate to me in a way that, um, It's, it's, it's very powerful, is what I wanted to say, the way that they gravitate to me. And I agree. That's so important when my team takes time off. I'm 
just like you shut your computer. I don't care. You know, we will figure it out. It is so important to get your personal time away because that's, I guess, where you're going to have burnout if you're bugging someone when they're on vacation. So, yes. and a lot of companies, they, you know, they don't have someone else to do it. So they are expecting their people while they're on vacation to do it. So it's just really important. There's not enough, there's not enough time away you know, so the time you do get away, you need to, you know, special, it's precious. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Now, when you're in more of a sea level spot, you may not get that time when you're on vacation. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's two different stories. But, oh yeah. Oh yeah. But um, no joke. Uh, let's see. Terrell said. Terrell Jackson said, "How important are the soft skills in cybersecurity?" And for our viewer, our listeners on Voice America, can you explain that? Because this is, this program is called Insecurity for All, so somebody might not know what a soft skill is in cybersecurity. So when 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 I hear soft skills, I think about an individual's ability to collaborate. That's one of my key things. Their ability to communicate orally with various levels of employees, um, and they have the EQ and the business acumen to tone down the technical and speak um, or share information in a way that whatever wherever level their whatever level their audience is they can understand it and most certainly um, ability to communicate effectively in writing is important I will tell you um, there there are some um, employees that after I have made my observations um, over a extended period of time I may not put them in front of a um, large audience because I will have learned that they can't be their best self when they're in front of an audience because they're literally uh, shaking to death nearly um, because they consider that the public speaking scenario. Um, there are other people who are just innately good at speaking in front of small groups or even larger groups. They they, they know how to translate technical talk into um, business ideas, business concepts, or at least in a way that those sort of audiences can comprehend what they want to share or the approval that they seek for said item, acquisition, platform, etc. So I'm very selective because what I don't want to do is rush the development. Um, I had in my own personal life, a couple of scenarios very similar, and um, I got placed on some, some what I call back in the day, grand stages that I wasn't ready for. And so I feel like part of my um, managerial responsibility is to groom the various um, um, talent on my team and rig them for those sort of external engagements, to talking to committees, talking with the executives, uh, so forth and so on. So I, I feel like that's inherently a part of our responsibility as senior leaders um, to cultivate those skill sets so that they do have a, a rounded out portfolio of soft skills that we can you know, utilize when we need to. Yeah, Jonathan made a good point, and he was telling uh, Terrell, 
that he requires his staff to have a fast food or retail experience specifically to get those soft skills and always and he's always had a great staff and you yeah. know but that goes back to people being remote and it also goes back to I, we run all of our events in a hybrid mode and we're still getting half of our attendees that are not coming out and I do believe it may be those people that are very introverted and it's easier for them to stay home. And prior to COVID, at least they had to go to these conferences because they needed to get their CPE credits right. or what have right. you. And right. now we've given them an easy way out. And I really encourage those people to come out of your shell because, you know, going to events, and I'm not trying to promote our events. I, I don't care if it's RSA, what have you, that is the best way to start you know meeting like-minded people that are in your industry and when you're at home it's it's really hard to, it's easy to sit on a zoom meeting and not say a word that's right yep you know yep, yep, yep. um and then uh jo jonathan had a few comments he said uh something about being creative would have never thought of that and then he talked about do you guys still get vacations i don't know if CISOs get vacations but um, maybe you guys do. <laughs> Not sure. But um, we have Victor said, Mike, what risk are you prioritizing? Which ones are keeping you up at night? Um, so as part of that 30, 60, 90 day plan, um, what I did was, again, I did a gap assessment. I worked with the IT leadership team to share with them all of the different possibilities or the different frameworks that we could select from. I shared with them the pros and cons of each, and it was through that vehicle we arrived at. We wanted to do the CIS version eight controls. So that's what we did our gap assessment against, and um, we got the results and the results um, have been ranked and it was through that process that we were able to see those things that we needed to go after really really quickly versus those that um, we could we have a little bit of luxury of dealing with a little bit later and then obviously the ones that um, are not as important as say medium um, we'll deal with those as we get to them but that's sort of the process that we went to. And remember, mine was three-pronged. So it wasn't just the gap assessment, which really has a lot of focus on the technology stack and to some degree administrative controls. But we also look at the entire portfolio of policies, procedures, and controls um, and how well we were doing what we say we do. And then the bigger aspect for me, the people part, um, trying to understand where they were um, against what they should be doing for the positions they held and then bringing um, the people and the process up together so that when the technology gets inserted, um, it's a holistic picture slash program. So a question for you. So when you left, when you were transitioning from the CISO of Dallas County, and then I think maybe you took a consulting maybe for a little bit before you took this job. You know, there's such a high burnout factor 
with CISOs. And I know you probably knew taking this position, you were going back into the you know trenches again uh, because that's such a big job that you guys have to do. How do you keep a balance between home life and business? Great question. So a um, couple of times, maybe once, not a couple. I mentioned earlier, Kim, that um, I do an awful lot of coaching. Well, when I'm not doing cybersecurity coaching, I'm doing mindfulness coaching. It's uh, one of my passions, and I find that um, if I can keep my mindset on point, then I can keep my work um, and my home life balanced. Um, it, per, it provides a mechanism for me to um, release from, you know, various concerns that might keep me up at night. Um, and so it's, it's through, you know, meditation, whether that be, you know, a meditative walk. It's through taking time during my morning routine to structure my day and um, being disciplined with keeping, you know, the right type of fuel in my body and, you know, shying away from the, the processed foods, trying to be holistic in my eating, and then adding to it exercise and plenty of rest. Um, that's the recipe as noted by Fortune 100 CEOs who have far more pressure on their shoulders than I do. That's what they do. So better for me not to reinvent the wheel. Um, I'll just learn from them. And I will tell you, um, um, this is going to sound a little far-fetched, but it's actually true. I have quite a few gray hairs, but some of them I can see that are starting to lighten up and go back the other direction. And so I attribute that to high cortisol levels, which is the key component in burnout. Um, I just don't experience that anymore. I've said to myself, I say, self, when something that looks really bad and, and really, really ugly or even gross crosses my desk, crosses my path, crosses my day, I go, hey, is this going to have an impact in one year? And, and if it's no, then I delegate it. I, I make a follow-up plan to check back in to make sure it's being addressed. I may lend a helping hand if there's a need to break through some politics or some um, some sort of shortcoming and or um, a shortfall. But I, I, I just don't let it get the best of me anymore. And I used to. I used to have, um, especially when I was at Dallas County, a lawful, awful lot of sleepless nights, um, just concerned about this and that and the other. And I don't have that anymore today. I think that work is work and it has a lower precedent than family. Family is in the number two spot in my religious beliefs, hold the number one spot. And my um, ability to meditate and to be mindful is right between one and two. So it keeps everything nice and neat and balanced for me. Well, that's really great advice. I wish I had a ton of CISOs listening right now because I think that's great advice to them because you can tell some of them just by their actions on the on social media, you know, the frustrated ones that that are frustrated with all the vendors calling them and emailing them and 
you know, so, so how do you handle that? And Jonathan has a question, but before we get to his question, how do you handle that? Because I know you're getting, you know, calls, tons of soliciting, your emails probably, you know, how, how are you managing that? And you're such a nice guy. I can't see you Thank being you. mean to these vendors. So how do you handle that and manage that? Um, so I, I, I think that um, the way I look at it is many of the people calling me are my friends. So <laughs> there's that part. <laughs> But but for those that that aren't a friend, I I just so happen to have an appreciation for the sales cycle. So I I, I kind of understand when I get a call or a LinkedIn message or somebody pings me at um, a networking event or something like that. I I, I just get it and and they want to feed their family. That's that's what I tell myself. They just want to feed their family, Mike. Um, and and it's a really, really small world. I'll never know who I'll need tomorrow. And and part of mindfulness is being present today and just kind of, you know, taking it all in and, and, and not having an opinion about everything. So so when I get the calls, well, I don't get the calls anymore. I'm so blessed I have Miss Raquel. She um, fills those calls. But um, we had a dialogue early on, and I said, hey, just don't don't just – you know, dump them to <laughs> delete it or don't just like not answer, like find out who it was, get their contact information. And on Fridays, that's my administrative catch up day, or I do my PowerPoints, anything, uh, writing assignments, I try to do those, reserve those Fridays, I try not to do meetings on that day. But those are the days that I'll return those calls. And I, I've, I've learned a lot about new products and services utilizing this approach. So, um, Maybe, you know, one in 10, I get a nugget of truth, but I don't know. I just think that everybody is is in this mode of seeing, you know, how they can uh, do a little bit better for themselves. And there's protocols that they have to follow. One of them is contacting CISOs. And I just go, okay, that's just part of the process. I, again, I just don't let it get to me. And, and, and some days it's a lot of them. Kim, I mean, a lot of them, like, like 12 or 14, you know, it's like, that's a big number for one day. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. And there was, I've commented a few times, it was earlier this year, I saw CISO that worked for a, some sort of maybe a, maybe a merchant services or a cell phone, I, I forgot. But, you know, he put a really bold, awful statement on LinkedIn to all the salespeople, uh-huh. stop to stop calling me, you know, you, you guys are rude. It was just, it was just an uncalled for thing, a LinkedIn message. And the whole thing that, that irritated me is the very company he works for has a sales people that call me all the time, a division that employs him, you know? So, right, right, you know, right. it's a whole circle of life, you know? Yes, so, yes. You know. Sorry for point, but yes, yes. Yeah, so so it's just, so that's nice to hear. And, and I always wrap up our events with our CISO panel, and, I, and I've been asking that to our CISOs is, you know, what does a salesperson have to do to get in front of you? You know, and it, it, it's usually, you know, relationship building and, um, I'm sure now that you have somebody in between you, you probably are very cognitive that you don't want to lose in touch with some of those people you 
difficult relationships with. So that's really right. great um, right. advice. And that's what uh, Victor said, great advice. And going back over to Jonathan Kimmett and backing up a little bit, he said on your gap analysis, what was just your was was that just your security team or did it include the IT staff? Jonathan, that is a phenomenal question. So as I kind of go about evangelizing this topic, it's one of the mantras that I've sort of centered on where, where I think I can be the most help to up and coming um, practitioners. What I find is more often than not, and I think this is where uh, Jonathan is coming from, they do a self-assessment. It's only with the IT team and they think they understand the environment. No, 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 no. It has to be with the entire team. Every so we have 157 people in IT and we brought all everybody in a supervisor and above into all of the meetings where we unpacked um, all three IGs within uh, CIS. And then we took those results and floated them um, with some other folks that are not necessarily IT, but are partners of IT, think privacy, think compliance, think audit, um, to see, um, to get their vantage point because they're off doing things to validate uh, the efficacy of our controls. And we took all of that content plus things that weren't even in the assessment people were volunteering and those were some of the scarier moments <laughs> and we took all of that content and put it all together and that's how we and then we ranked it and CIL helps us with the ranking I don't want to take full responsibility for that I did tweak some that I thought were more relevant because of the environment I'm in um, but we took all of that content in collectively Jonathan makes a very very educated point so are you affiliated like how often are you um you know connecting with your peers that are in a CISO position like do you find that you get a lot of great advice from them and and, and vice versa you know the the, the dfw community is, is awesome rich yeah. rich with talent and i have mm -hmm. so many close friends in this market and I can, I wouldn't want to name drop because I would be fearful that I would forget someone and they would have done something for me. But the, the, the list is so great that even if I wanted to now that I think about it, Kim, I couldn't name them all, but we've got so many people who have been so good to me. And, and, and whenever I can give back, uh, I most certainly want to, um, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm out there this first 90 has been tough, so I haven't been able to do a whole lot. And plus, we're doing some some really isolated training um, to bring skill sets up and such. So I haven't been able to get out as much this last 90, but I will start to. And I think that's a very, very, and you made mention of it too early on, that's a very critical part of our development is, is getting out and talking to people and Uh -oh, what happened? Gaining the number of times I've been at a seminar or maybe even one of your events, right? And someone comes up to the stage and says something and goes, a light goes off. I'm like, hey, I never thought about that like that. I think I'm going to take that back to the team and, and, and share that with the team. So many moments like that and things that, you know, not necessarily low-hanging fruit, fruit, but 
ideas and concepts that can further enrich a particular area of your program. So that's really important, that whole networking piece. Well, you guys have some amazing people in Dallas. And I don't I don't think you made our this past January event. We went back to the House of Blues and we did live music from five to seven, not knowing if anyone would stay. Everyone stayed. And it was so, and, we, and don't worry, we're coming back in January. And we're doing the same thing again. Nice, so, nice. And I, I mean, it was just so cool to just see, you know, it was like I was at a party out at RSA or something. I mean, usually after a long day of conferences, people want to go home at five. Nope, they all stayed. And Dallas is just, I mean, I I feel like you guys have such a strong, there's so many great people. We do. There's so um, many. You're right, Kim. And, um, And there's other cities that are like that too, but it's few and far between that have such a good you know, security group, as you guys do. I can't believe we're almost coming up on top of the hour. Um, we, we still have about five to six minutes left. But um, Jonathan said, what is your preferred training for your staff? Boot camps, online training, or uh, prem training, et cetera? Yeah. Um, what I found when, when I took possession of, of, of this team and in this role was that um, our our budget um, had not been, um, I'm going to say, handled appropriately. And, and there are some, some very, very strict guidelines on, on, on the budget process. And I think because the role was absent an individual, um, it, it didn't get addressed. And so in a situation like that, where you have a budget deficiency, you don't necessarily have a line item for training. Um, you know, right now I'm utilizing You'll have to help me with this. Cybrary, I think is the name of the um, entity, but they specialize in IT security. At least that's where they cut their teeth in IT security training. Um, But we'll go through a reconciliation process. And then what we will do is bring in probably some instructor-led training. And I, I I don't think there's anything wrong whatsoever with some good CBT training. Um, All of us, everyone on the team for this um, next um, performance management cycle will be doing a certification and we'll probably use various instruments to bring that across the line. But um, I I, I like to use all of them. I think diversity is our friend and um, to the extent that I can get some things at no cost and then marry them with things that have cost, I think I get a better set of outcomes particularly for the people part of, of what I'm responsible for. That's a good question. Um, yeah, that Jonathan said Cyberry was correct. And Thank you. Thank you. Of course, Jonathan, we want to see you in Dallas uh, next year as well. Let me, uh, so this, we're, we're down to about four minutes. Um, Michael, well, Mike, you're on the screen is Mike, but I feel like I always call you Michael. Um, before we, you know, wrap up, what are, are there any like for the listeners? Cause we have quite a few listeners today. What are some tips to just, I loved your tips on just how to, to balance your home personal business. I think that's great tips. Anyone can walk away with, but just to, you know, we, we could have gone so much deeper into um, constructing a risk based security program, but just some daily things that people can do different to make their life a little easier? Um, You know, 
I would say for the leadership, I'll try to break it down into various categories. Um, for for leaders, um, maybe at this level or at the director level and above, um, I was told by a CIO several years ago, um, Michael, I love your presentation, but what I need you to do a better job of is tell me a story with the data, because if you tell me a story, it's more memorable. So I've perfect, ah, that's strong. I've been trying to perfect that over the years, and I think I'm getting decent at doing that, telling a story with your data. I'm particularly, I'm thinking about um, the board reporting package. If, if, if you can tell a 12-minute story with your data, um, I think that's, the most profound way that you can communicate with that body once you have an understanding of what they want to know. I think on the um, individual contributor level, um, since we're getting close on time, I'm going to skip a tier. If, if maybe this individual is desiring to uh, move up and to, um, you know, try new things and, and, and sort of sprout in our vertical or our discipline, the thing that catches my attention most are the people who execute. Um, many, many years ago, when I was a young person, I, I, I was talking to a CIO and she was telling me about what makes her so highly rated. She had won all sorts of awards across um, that particular geographical area for being just an, an awesome CIO. And she said execution, and 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 I really never thought about it like that until I made it to that point, and I could see why that was so critical. It's a distinguisher. Um, it it separates you from your other cohorts, and makes the manager think about well, if I'm going to give a project that's high visibility, um, I'm going to give it to Nancy because I know Nancy she's going to execute it if she has any issues she's going to let me know early we're going to work through those risks we're going to eliminate them and she's going to deliver on time so i would say execution um, is a huge distinguisher in my book and we probably have about 30 seconds but for you to answer this question and and if there was a nugget of truth that you wanted the audience to never forget what would that be um if this crowd is at the uh, manager or above level, learn the art of delegating. We talked about burnout, and and sometimes for us leaders, we, we have a way of doing it that we're comfortable with, and so we, we shy away from delegation. Delegation should be your friend. You should help to groom that person. If you found that they didn't do it quite right, let them do it three or four times, tweak it each time. Before you know it, you've got a person now who can step in and fill a void for you in your absence, delegation. Well, Michael Anderson, uh, Chief Information Security Officer from the Dallas Independent School District. It was so great having you on the show. That went so fast. We didn't even get to go. I know, questions. right? We'll <laughs> do it again. We'll have you back on. Awesome. So awesome. thank you so much, Michael, for being here. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Ant Security for All. We'll be back next Friday. And I hope you all have an amazing weekend. Stay safe, stay secure, and we'll see you next week.
thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.